Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 183. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here to celebrate Earth Day and talk about Wally. Yes, we're going to celebrate Earth Day with the heavy-handed film showing how humans destroyed it. Well, like you do. Admittedly, and perhaps because of the heavy subject matter, this is not a film that I have watched in a very long time. Agreed. We own the DVD. We do have it. Uh, we did see this in theaters, but I think I might have only watched the DVD like once or twice since getting it. Yeah, we actually did the premiere for this film when we were still working in commercial radio. So we got to see an advanced screening because a lot of people were making such a big deal about the movie because as I remember it, you kind of knew that it was heavy subject matter, but Disney hadn't given a lot of weight. So there was so much mystery surrounding this. Right. I was going to say, do you remember that? Because our co-workers, you know, we would get the premiere to these things and right. we'd get tickets. And usually you'd get a fair amount of people that would come out. But yeah. I remember everybody in the building was out for this film. And I remember walking out of that theater and it, our collective mind was blown. Our collective minds were blown. And at the same time, opinions were varying. Yes. Right? But I am so interested in discussing those reactions and seeing if the movie is held up or if it was just ahead of its time. That, on top of many things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy and stay up to date with all of the new releases. It is the 29th century, and the planet Earth is in a polluted uninhabitable, post-apocalyptic state. Humans were evacuated 700 years prior by the by-and-large corporation, and a team of trash-compacting robots were sent to clean up the mess, which was initially slated as a five-year project. Only one robot remains and goes by the name of WALL-E, which is an acronym for Waste Allocation Load Lifter, Earth Class. While he continues to collect trash, he also starts to collect oddities while developing a personality, because he's been doing this now for 700 years. One day, an egg-like pod named Extraterrestrial Vegetation Evaluator, or EVE for short, arrives and Wally is smitten. As she learns to trust him, he starts to show her his collection as well as a small plant that he had found. She collects the plant and goes into a hibernative state until her mothership arrives to retrieve her. Wally clings to the ship as he does not want to lose her and is fired into space. They arrive on the Axiom, the ship containing everyone who was taken from the planet Earth so many years prior. Really, it was the forefathers, and now it's the long-distance relatives of those who were taken from the Earth. But, 
as I said, having been gone for so long, the people on the Axiom are immobilized and drink all of their meals in a cup while being stuck behind a screen all day as they sit in floating chairs. Captain B. McCree is surprised when Eve comes back with a positive search result, but when she tries to present the plant, she is, or he assumes that she has malfunctioned and he sends her off to be repaired because the plant is now missing. Eve, meanwhile, blames Wally as she believes he lost the plant, and when he tries to rescue her from repair because he thinks that she's going to a torture chamber, he frees other faulty robots, and he and Eve are seen as rogue robots and a threat to all of the people on the ship. When Eve tries to send him back to Earth, the they see Gopher, Gopher, as they call him, but it is Gopher, a... Uh, henchman of Otto, the autopilot on the ship, put the plant in a pod set for self-destruct. Wally retrieves it and is sent into space, but escapes the pod before it explodes. He and Eve return to get the plant to McCree, who is set on returning to Earth, which was always the mission. However, Otto stages a mutiny to keep them in space and execute Plan A-113 which initially was put in place because they did not think that Earth could be inhabited and that they would just float in space forever. Wally is badly damaged in a scuffle over the plant, but is intent on helping Eve complete her directive, her mission. As they struggle back and forth, the captain finally gets on his feet, and he does struggle to walk, but he puts Otto in manual, and he takes control of the ship. They return to Earth, where they fear that Wally is damaged beyond repair, but Eve is able to repair him, and eventually, after she kisses him, which is really just a little electronic zap. A boop. A boop we'll call it. Uh, his memory and his personality are restored, and Earth returns to being a paradise. So, that is one of the more heavy plots that we've ever kind of read out loud on Monoreal Radio. I mean, you've seen heavy subject matter in most of these Disney animated films, but uh, this one just hits differently. I was going to say, th- one of the heaviest without anybody actually dying. Right. right, Yeah. They didn't kill a parent. No. It's not like the beginning of Up. I mean, you could argue the human race is dying and that's very, very sad. But I think this is a good jumping off point because I'm not sure if it's just me or people in general. I sort of remembered this film as humans destroyed earth we can no longer inhabit it and now we're living in space which is all true but i totally forgot that that was never the original plan it was always a temporary band-aid and the goal was to get back so is that something that you remembered i'm just curious if if i didn't remember the whole thing all the way through I remembered that they were supposed to come back, um, but what I had forgotten was that it was supposed to be such a short-term fix. I think that I I vaguely remembered that the plan was to return to Earth, but I don't remember it being time-stamped with a five-year window. I think that 
I just assumed that they would get back eventually. What Whatever eventually meant, they would get back eventually. What I actually completely forgot, though, was how lighthearted the movie starts off for a post-apocalyptic world. Right, because you have the music uh, put on your Sunday clothes from Hello, Dolly. Right. So you've got this very much classic Hollywood, bright, uplifting musical, and it is brilliant that they juxtapose it against this post-apocalyptic barren wasteland. I wish, though, that there was more significance to choosing Hello, Dolly, or this song in particular. I mean, the part of it is about getting out of Yonkers. So, sure, that fits the theme of, you know, Wally wanting to get out of this current situation and and eventually going to space. Uh, But this was an idea that just came to the director. Uh, And he had played the character Barnaby in a school play. And the song I think was on his iPod or something and he heard it and he was like, wow, that would be so perfect for the beginning. And I was really hoping that there was going to be more significance than that. Or, or even like a dip into the Disney canon. Like why wouldn't you make this meta and put Mary Poppins in there? I, I think it would have been highly criticized as just being a Disney commercial. I mean, I get that, but the point... I mean, I love that they just chose to put a musical in a space that we would otherwise not have music at all whatsoever, and they figured out a creative way to get it in there. Because the point is, all of the humans are gone, and, you know, art is one of the things that separates humans from animals, from robots. It is something that if you put it into a time capsule... Like, this is what you'd want to include from that classic era, right? But I just don't love that it could be any song. Like, if not, then then put something like Somewhere Over the Rainbow in there or something like that. I mean, the rights to acquire that, as I'm saying it now, I realize how ridiculous that is because they'd never get the rights to it. But, um, yeah, I wish there was just more of a parallel with this song. I mean, if the director had a personal connection with it, for me, that's good enough. I can live with the fact that this is just the VHS tape that Wally found, and it's the only thing that he can watch over and over and over again. I love that they plant that in the beginning. I love they plant that he's a collector and that he can Frankenstein himself, and that's how he's keeping himself going, because he's sort of like pilfering pieces off the other robots who are no longer working. I think the juxtaposition with the song is perfect, and I love that... I I do love that they develop him so well from the beginning that I can kind of live without the film Hello, Dolly having any real significance here, and that it's just something... Because for something that seems insignificant... Every time it comes up, it weaves in and out of the plot so perfectly. I mean, I guess you need that because of the love story, and that is what he wants. He just wants to hold someone's hand and fall in love. I'm not I'm not hating on Hello, Dolly by any stretch of the imagination. That's not the question. But it's like, you know, if the human race was wiped out and aliens found a time capsule 
millions of years from now, is this the film that is going to represent us? I don't know. Unfortunately, if aliens found this planet a million years from now, they would just find the Kardashians. So (laughs) if there's one thing that they could find, I would be perfectly happy if it were Hello, Dolly, which, by the way, I've never even seen. But I oh, can we're gonna fix that. Yeah, slow down. I'm not rushing. Um, I didn't even make you watch Easter Parade this year. Let me have one. Um, yeah, I, you can make the case for it's not, you know, it's not a Wizard of Oz. It's not a Mary Poppins. It's not a West Side Story. I'm not talking about the Disney remake. I'm talking about the original West Side Story. Singing in the Rain. Yeah, I, it was like why they picked this. I guess it was just the director's connection to it. No, it's not the one film that I think that they would gravitate to. I mean, if I could pick a movie for aliens to find, it would be Ghostbusters. No, it would. And, and <laughs> that's not, a surprise. Um, it would be E.T. I actually think E.T. Ha! not be not just because it's about an alien. I think E.T. is one of the most beautiful films ever made. I think that if there is one film that that should be found on the planet Earth a million years from now, it's E.T. I'll give you that one. Coming up on its 40th anniversary, by the way, believe it or not. But Com- let's, let's yeah, keep coming talking. Off of, but, coming off of Hello, Dolly. But you know what, though? I, I do want to put this out there now um, because we're talking about other films. I want to bring another film into it because I haven't confused this enough. Um and it's the only knock I ever have against against this film. Wally to me is just so much like number five from Short Circuit that it almost becomes distracting. It, it's different because he doesn't speak, but the way that he emotes, the like aesthetically how he looks, how he moves. Um, especially with the with the eyes, you know, with his lenses that are supposed to be eyes, I binoculars just, essentially. Yeah, I just think it pulls a little too much from Short Circuit. I definitely agree with you there. Um, but really, what else could they have done? Because Eve's aesthetic is round; she's a pod, so you can't really have anything that looks like her it has to be a stark contrast and wally is ultimately a trash compactor so how are you going to design something that i mean there's really not a lot they could do because it's got to be function over form here right so i think they kind of got shoehorned into something i do want to circle back to something that you said um, okay. as far as Wally being a collector and uh, it, it fleshing out the character. It's such great development so early on because it not only shows that he has a personality uh, and this is before we even know how much time has really passed that he has been doing this for 700 years. So naturally he is taking sort of an affection to these objects that have been discarded and you know he's differentiating now what's garbage and what he wants to hang on to and he's sort of building a time capsule of his own but 
I thought that that was so brilliant to give the audience something to connect to on that level because he's got all of these items like a Rubik's Cube, like the VHS tape. Uh, I love that they went 80s with it too, by the yeah. way. Um, I wish they had leaned into that a little bit more though because you do have like the Toy Story plants. Like you see Ham and Rex as Easter eggs in his collection. Uh, but I wish that they had given us even more pop culture kind of items in in his uh in his house yeah um they may i mean i don't think they needed to do too much more they could have but then you're getting into like you said having to pay for the licensing and you can't just keep using disney characters over and over again or pixar try as they might the other thing that they do really well here is not just flesh out the character but they do set the table for what is happening because, albeit you don't know that 700 years has gone by, but I love how we get the Axiom ad that is just continuing to play so that we are brought up to speed fairly quickly as to where everybody is going and why it's just the robots that are left. I think the pacing from the jump is very good. That was the exact word that I was going to use is the pacing here because... First of all, it is scary high how tall these buildings are and how much garbage is piled up. They yeah. are these garbage piles are taller than skyscrapers. That is alarming because that could happen. But just when this starts to feel like Ready Player One, as far as pulling from things that look familiar, like to your point with Short Circuit, uh, they drop that. BNL advertisement just in the nick of time so that it does differentiate between, you know, being sucked into this virtual world versus this was supposed to be a temporary fix. And it's not that humans are gone. It's that well, we don't know that they are trying to come back yet. But I think that that was really smart that they introduced this idea because you are getting so sucked into Wally's day-to-day routine and you know when we meet him he finishes the one skyscraper and then the next day he sets out for work and he starts another one um and the time lapse is amazing like to see these piles shrinking but now the building going up uh and I think it's worth noting too just how weirdly beautiful these scenes are uh even though it's very sad to see what happens to earth and it's disheartening to see this garbage, uh, the color palettes that they chose and to be able to make like those muddy Browns look so nice because they also pulled in like these gold tones too, with the way that the sun sets. Uh, it's just so well done. I think that's a big compliment to the way that the film is lit. Um, because, and I'm glad that you bring that up, because in the next scene, you have the, the next Hello, Dolly scene where Wally is back. He's spent his day working. He turns on Hello, Dolly, and it's when he starts to see the romantic scene. And the the way that they shine the light on the lenses, on his eyes, they almost make them glassy. And it's almost dog-like. He has like this puppy dog stare to him, which I think for a robot, for something that really doesn't emote, for an inanimate object for all intents and purposes, that you could give, 
you could put that much behind the eyes, you know, because the eyes are the window to the soul. It's amazing that something without a soul can have such a soul. Yeah, the level of detail is just incredible. This film had 1,500 shots, which is a lot for a computer animated film. Uh, and the amount of work that had to go into each one, I mean, it's no wonder, right? Because there are not a lot of characters in this film. No. So you really have to be detailed with the setting and give your main character a space to live in because you can't cut back and forth against another person. Um, and really, I mean, we are going to break down the characters in the voice ca cast later, but I, I think it's worth noting, Wally is probably one of the best characters in the Disney canon. I know that people, you know, kids sort of gravitate to him because he's cute. I think that adults gravitate to him because of what he represents. Um, but really, even though he's not necessarily one of my favorite characters, he's got to be top five best characters because of all the layers that they give him with hardly any dialogue. With no dialogue. All he says is Wally and Eve, and he bleeps and bloops and, you know, it's basically like R2-D2, right? Very similar. That's a really great comparison, though, because could you really watch a whole movie of R2-D2? No, you'd be bored to tears. No, but you could watch an entire... You can watch Wally. I mean, we just did. It, it's amazing how much character he has with absolutely no dialogue. And I think part of that is because they make him so relatable. I think the childhood wonder that they give him when he's watching Hello, Dolly, the fact that he's not a morning person, you see it in the way that he groans. The fact that he has this collection of oddities and all this stuff from the 80s. No, Everybody at this point knows that Like I really gravitate towards that. They just make him so relatable that it is so easy for an audience to fall in love with this character. And I think, to your point, that's why he probably is in the top five of all of the Disney characters. It is pretty amazing, too, how they gave him those qualities, like you said, of a childlike wonder where they totally could have played this as like a jaded, I'm over this, angry at the humans for destroying it. And now he's got to clean up the mess. That would have been kind of an interesting and comedic way to go too. But you don't fall in love with a character like that. Well, Al Bundy, if you made him <laughs> like the Al Bundy of trash compactors, it could have worked, but I'm not arguing with how they did it because I think they got it right. And I think that they got the introduction of Eve correct as well because she comes down from this ship. Wally's never seen anything other than another Wally. And we don't know how long he's been without another Wally, without a companion. So he sees her... And I love that he's like immediately smitten with her, not just because he's obviously attracted to her, and a lot of that has to do with watching and listening to the Hello Dolly soundtrack over and over and over again, but his his sort of, um, how do I want to explain this? The mystery behind her and the intrigue of her is what he is so drawn to. I, I love how they brought her into this world. I think that was a really smart choice to make her mysterious because otherwise, I mean, her name is Eve, as in Adam and Eve. You don't want to think that Wally is falling in love with her just because 
she is the only female there. Right. And she also goes from figure skater to Rambo, which I absolutely <laughs> love, yes. too. Um, yeah, you, you don't know what she's about. You don't know if you could trust her. But I think that when he when, when eventually when they do connect and she stopped, stops trying to shoot at him, thanks in part to his cockroach buddy, um, I think the scene where he brings her back to show her his collection, he sh- you know, when she pulls the, the, video, the tape out of the cassette and he's got to rewind it, people of a certain age know what that's like. We've had to do it a thousand times, but again... Except for when you watched Oliver and Company and then you didn't. Well, that's because the tape stayed in the VHS. I'm talking about when the tape got pulled the out. Jack of- in the Box. Yes. Um, but the entire scene... I again I, I go back to the term childlike. I think it's some of the best animation of all time when you get the two of them together in his home. Right. And then Eve even when once Eve is in the process of uh completing her mission, you know, she's got the plant, she's harvesting it until they come back for her, that date montage is yeah. hilarious. It's so funny. And beautifully animated, too. You know, he's got the Christmas lights and uh, when they're doing the gondola ride through the sludge, yeah. it yes. still looks pretty. Yeah, it's disgusting and yet hilarious all at the same time. Um, now, everything kind of moves quickly from there because her mothership comes back to retrieve her. And he doesn't want her to go, so he clings to the outside of the ship, and he gets shot into space. And um, again, I think some of this animation is spectacular. First off, I love how they just crash through the wall of uh, BNL satellites; they're just like everywhere. Yes, but when they're passing through the stars and the cosmos, and he just reaches up, and he's just like kind of playing with all of it. Again, and I'm, this is the last time I'm going to use the phrase because now it's gotten repetitive. The childlike wonder is just spectacular. I also love how when they fly over the moon, uh, you still do get the American flag there. Uh, but I thought it was an interesting choice that that didn't go digital because right next to it, you have a BNL billboard <laughs> on, the the moon. on the moon. I mean, it is not a far cry from where we're headed, but I was surprised that they didn't really like twist the knife and make the the flag digital and then like blip to an advertisement, you know? Yeah, um, they could have done. I'm glad that they didn't. Um, and again, it's that juxtaposition of you. You've got this lighthearted and funny and you've got Wally playing in the stars against the backdrop that is a brown earth that is basically a dead planet earth. Yeah, that's a very striking image. It is, and it's just again it's it's an it's an incredible compliment to what these filmmakers and what these animators pulled off because it it's not enough to take you out of the moment, but it doesn't make a mockery of it either it's incredibly well balanced 
what's even more striking to me is our first glimpse of the humans because yes. now as the audience we are getting the thing that we should connect to more than a Rubik's cube. And yet they look completely alien. Yeah. Sort of. There's enough familiar. It, it's just scary. It, it is a disturbing image. And not only do you have to sort of wrap your mind around what humans become when they're not exercising and they're sitting in front of a screen all day, but when Wally bumps into one of them and he falls, he can't even get up. Because they've never had to walk before. They've never had to move on their own. They just sit in these chairs and rot behind a screen. And for a movie that came out at this point, at the time of this recording, 14 years ago. 2008. um, It's incredibly ahead of its time. Because it's only gotten worse in 14 years. Especially after going through a pandemic. I mean, really, what did everybody do other than sit in front of the television? Right. And as soon as the screens go away, it's like being reborn again. It's, it's a rebirth. And, and, and realizing that there is a world outside of the screen in front of your face. Um, and starting to get acclimated again with actually having to interact with other people. Because in this world... You literally have people that are sitting feet from each other that have only really communicated through the screen and the camera. I also love what they're doing as far as setting up the idea that BNL is supposed to be their savior. And meanwhile, they are the ones responsible for destroying Earth because what we've seen is, you know, when Wally is cleaning up the rubble, it's all the gas stations are BNL, all of the stores. Uh, so you can tell that they are responsible for pillaging the environment. Uh, but they are also trying to make humans dependent on them because now, you know, they've got the time and temperature sponsored by BNL. The children, God only knows how the children got there if people can't move around. But um, they're being fed before they're even old enough to be in school. Really, these are toddlers being taught the BNL way of doing things, uh, which is also a metaphor that was way ahead of its time. Yeah, um, I think just if you if you sum the movie up at all in one phrase, I think ahead of its time from top to bottom, is probably the most accurate phrase for summing up the entire film. Um, I mean, the fact that they're dealing with bone loss because they've never gotten out of these hover chairs. Um, and, you know, th- that's something that people are... Not, not, that, that the, not that they're necessarily dealing with bone loss, but the fact that people are sitting in chairs constantly behind screens. I mean... 700 years from now, if this doesn't, if you don't buck the trend, it it is going to be fairly accurate. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Even, uh, you know, as the movie portrays it with the bone density aside, if you just look at the captain, uh, I think it's very subtle because I thought it was part of his character design that he had that cape, but that is actually the captain's shirt and it just no longer fits him. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of drapes over his shoulder, almost like an evil villain with his little cape. Right. Um, 
But all right, let's talk a little bit more here about what happens once Wally is on the ship because he's only there because he wants to track down Eve. And can we talk about what happens when he finally does get to Eve and how the plant is missing? Now, none of us know why the plant is missing. Right. But you do see Captain McCree for the first time. And he's lazy. He's never really had to work. We don't know how he became the captain. Um, Everything's just in autopilot. He overslept. He has to reset the day so that it's morning again so he can make the morning announcement. And now you've got this plant that has gone missing and Wally is sort of hiding in the background. We know Wally hasn't done anything to make this plant go away, but it's the first time that you get suspicious of BNL and what is really going on on the Axiom. I also love that the plant is such a great plot device, but it's also the perfect thing to symbolize exactly what is going on. Correct. Um, And then from there, let's talk about the scene where uh, Wally sets all of the robots free. The uprising? The uprising and how they carry him out on their shoulders. I love the whole thing. Me too. It Again, pacing of this film is absolutely brilliant because it is getting very, very serious at this point. You know, they are trying. Eve and Wally have been labeled as outlaws. They got a picture <laughs> yes. of them that's being, you know, flashed in front of everyone's eyes that they're, what is it, rogue robots, rogue I think they're robots. calling them. And Wally inadvertently gets a following and a little army that's going to back him now. Which comes to into play later on in the film. So it wasn't just a waste of time. And it wasn't just something that was thrown in there for comedy's sake. They pay off right. on it later on. Right. Um, which, honestly, like, I had forgotten about that one, honestly. I mean, it is funny regardless, but you did need to set it up as far as why they just go along with him later. Yeah, and then, again, you know something's up with this plant when you see Gopher you know, disposing of it, and you you just know that something else is about to happen. And um, I think that that was an added layer. The mystery and the deceit was an added layer that I did not see coming and, again, had forgotten about until we watched this film again. Now, Wally goes into this escape pod to retrieve the plant, which was where Eve wanted him to go anyway, because the whole time she just wants to send him back to Earth because, A, she knows he doesn't belong on the Axiom. B, she thinks he's kind of a nuisance at this point. And he gets shot out, and he tries to turn off the self-destruct, and he can't, and the vehicle explodes, but he's able to escape with the plant, and he's got the fire extinguisher, which he's using as like a jetpack, And you get this really beautifully animated scene where Eve and Wally are flying through space. Again, some of the best animation. I would go so far as to say some of the best animation in the history of animation. I agree. It's such a stunning sequence. And I like what it does for Eve's character, too, because as you said, at this point, 
she kind of thinks that he's a nuisance and she's still focused on her directive. So you don't really know what side she is on until we have this clear cut answer that she too has feelings for Wally. Because there is also a lot going on when he is trying to destroy the self-destruct button. Uh, And I didn't realize this at first either. Eve was setting up that pod to send him back. Uh, Well, part of it was to save him. Part of it was because she thought he was a nuisance, but the other part was to save him because they all thought that he had the plant. And then Gopher realizes the pod is ready to go, so he throws the plant in there. That's how Wally ends up with it, and he he saves it from this explosion. Uh, So it's such a great sequence as far as cause and effect after she thinks that she almost lost Wally. Um, But it's so beautiful, Uh, and it's almost... It's almost like they gave Wally as a film a musical number in its own right. Right, because it's basically just a dance scene in outer space. Right. And all the while, McCree is starting to learn what life was like on Earth, which is sort of an interesting twist, too, because he didn't know. He never knew what life was like on Earth not just because 700 years have gone by, but he knows as the captain, if they ever find a plant, they're going back. Yet he never thought to look into what life was like or what life would be like. And the more he digs, the more he unearths, the more excited he gets over the prospect of going back to Earth. And the more aggravated you can see that Otto is getting because Otto is just trying every which way to block him. I thought it was so interesting that as the even as the captain of the ship, he had no idea what Earth had been like at all. It's such a great reveal when the captain gets up to speed, but I also think that it's a great reveal for the audience to show that this wasn't that this was in fact a failed experiment and it wasn't just that humans had given up. And then throughout all of this, there's so much comedy peppered in because he doesn't even know what the function of a plant is. He doesn't know the importance of getting this thing back. And then by the time he learns what farming is and what humans did, he thinks that you can grow pizza. Yeah, it's very funny. Which is also such a great reference to, he keeps saying it's a pizza plant, it's a pizza plant, which kind of harkens back to Pizza Planet, which has been the the car, the delivery car has been in almost every, well, to now, I think it's been in every Pixar film. Right. Right, and then you get the reference, the A113. That's the the plan, or the that's the classified mission, A113, which we've seen in Disney and Pixar films before. But Otto takes that so literal when they are told that they can't ever go back to Earth. Even though the captain has told him we're now going back because we found this plant, Otto is intent on making sure they never go back because he's been ordered to never go back. Right. I want to. It's like, let me ask you a question while we're on the topic of. As we've watched this now a couple of times this week, is Otto a villain or is Otto just doing what he was told to do wow that's a great question i mean that really is the man versus robot argument right right um i mean ultimately he's programmed 
but he does override it. So I mm, no, I I want to say that humans are the villains in this movie. That's the point. Is we destroyed it. Um, but it it real it really does give you something to chew on, right? As far as Otto's character, uh, I want to talk a little bit because we haven't mentioned it to this point. Probably the most jarring thing we've ever seen in a Pixar film other than Hello, Dolly, is the use of this live action. It's one thing yes. to see Wally watching a video. It's completely another when they're doing the initial advertisement for the B&L cruise in space. If you've got too much garbage piling up, just take a cruise and then we'll bring you back. Uh, you see people and then they have fred willard playing the president at the time this all happened and that's when you get that reveal that they were always supposed to go back and then they realized that they couldn't um i i think it's perfect it was a risky move uh especially because you know pixar has always supposed to be it was always supposed to be sort of its own universe and they've never really connected it to the audience in that kind of way but i love that they peppered in the live action here yeah i thought that it made sense i don't you know there aren't many instances where you can make it work in a pixar film um or in any animated film really but in this case i think it really worked um let's talk about when Otto does take control and when he won't let McCree override him and everything that happens to Wally, because Wally at this point, he knows that the bigger picture is get them back to Earth and get Eve to complete her mission, her directive. He's doing everything in his power to do so to the point where he is almost completely destroyed. It's a harsh visual, and at the same time, it's an incredible moment for the character. It really is. And now they've also managed to incorporate all of the people that have been on the ship because they do start to take action themselves. You know, Wally had turned off a couple of their screens. And now that those humans have been enlightened, they start to rally everyone. Right, because for the first time in their lives, they're thinking for themselves. Right. McCree included. Which is kind of surprising that they gave them the ability to do that so quickly. I thought, you know, as soon as the screen was removed, you'd be kind of lost, which I feel like is very true to life. Yeah, um, I think the the end of this movie moves really fast. I don't want to say it's rushed because I don't think you needed to drag it out. Right. But they get from this point to the end of the movie, they get there really fast. Which I think as far as the pacing goes, a little bit faster and a little bit more action works because, you know, Otto has tipped the the crews. Yeah. And now that the humans are, I hesitate to use the phrase woke, but <laughs> they are awake. They are thinking on their own. And... um they don't really know what's going on, but they know how important the plant is, and which is sort of funny, too, because the captain didn't know what a plant was. So how did they? But all they know is that Wally and Eve need it. 
And even though everything is tipped over, they really can't move. They're all just piled up on one side of the ship. They make sure that plant gets back up to the main uh, tower. Yeah, so um, McCree switches auto into manual. He takes control of the ship. He writes the ship, so now people aren't just falling over to one side. And you get the scene where they do get back to Earth. They move very quickly, and Wally has to be put back together by Eve. And when she puts him back together, he has gone back into like the factory reset mode. And what is intriguing here is you've seen how Disney can be so heavy with their symbolism and heavy with the subject matter in all of their films, you know, this one specifically. Um, I thought that it was interesting that instead of leaving him wiped out, which would have been, you know, more of the Bambi way of going about things, they have the, you know, kiss and wake up the damsel in distress, but in this case, it's him. And I don't mind at all that they did that because I was so happy to see that the foot was, that the shoe was on the other foot for a change, but also that we got this lovable character back because I did not, I was not ready as a member of the audience then or a member of the audience now to let him go. I completely agree. I thought if anything, if they really wanted to to go for heart wrenching, that they would have killed off Eve in service of saving the planet. Right. And they didn't do either. So everybody got their happy ending. Um, let's talk about the voice cast here. Um, and this one's going to be quick. Um, well, that's brilliant, though, right? I yeah. mean, 1,500 shots, you have a huge budget just to make the film, right? So you're going to go low budget with your voice talent. Are you really going to pay a name actor to go beep and boop? No. But there yeah. are some, there is some name talent in here, which is which is pretty cool. But they're quick cameos. Yes. Ben Burt plays Wally. Um, he is also the sound designer for this film and for Star Wars. Uh hats off not just on the star wars thing but you know we've been kind of remiss not to mention that in a film that has such little dialogue you have to get the sound right because that's going to carry the rest of it it has to be almost a character in and of itself and i think that you know that's the sound is always something that you take for granted because when it's done correctly, you don't notice it. You're not supposed to. If the sound is standing out like a sore thumb, you did something wrong. It's right. too much. Uh, so I think this was the perfect balance between the beeps and the boops to get your communication and in certain cases your emotion across. But um, this, the soundscape of you know, these sort of foreign objects, like sure we have rockets, but we don't have Axiom ships. We don't know what that sounds like. And I think that they just did such an incredible job, especially with a big cast of robots at one point too. Right. Alyssa Knight plays Eve and she says directive, plant, and Wally. She doesn't say a lot more than that, but in those three words, she emotes everything and it's incredible. I believe she does say directive in German and Swahili before she does eventually get to directive in English. So give her a little bit of credit. 
but nonetheless, an incredible job. And I, I love the tone that they gave her, too. Yeah. Everything about it is just spectacular. Jeff Garland plays Captain B. McCree. Um, and I thought that he did a really good job here, too, because as one of the few characters that actually has dialogue, it kind of fell on him to carry the second half of this movie, and I thought he did a really good job. I do, too. Um, I think he gave it just the right amount of, at first, uh, ambivalence, uh, and then he balances the comedy with being very serious because it needs to get serious when he realized how much is going wrong uh i think he did a great job with that and i also think this is probably how he got to be murray goldberg proving that he could sit around yeah and then that's the last time he's ever gonna work with disney because he pissed them off yeah he pissed off a lot of people. He's in a little bit of trouble right now, but we're not going to comment on that. Although the Goldbergs did get renewed for a 10th season today, so I'll be interested to see where they go from there. We have not talked about it on this show, how much we love the Goldberg. I mean, that should be obvious to everyone who has A, listened to us, or B, seen the Goldbergs. It's 80s nostalgia. Like, what else do you need? But if you're not watching it, give it a shot. For, for Beverly Goldberg, the mother... Uh, played by Wendy McClendon, Wendy McClendon Covey. Uh, she's everything. Yeah, she is. Fred Willard has a role here. We mentioned it before as Shelby Forthright, the CEO of BNL and the president of Earth. Not just the president of the United States. He's the president of Earth, the only live action actor in this movie. We talked about it before. Um, he's just Fred Willard in it. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Exactly. Like, what else do you need? I love the name, though. Shelby Forthright. Yeah. Be shan't be forthright. Uh, um, John Ratzenberger has a role here as John. Kathy uh, Najimi is Mary. Both very secondary characters. When you compare them to the rest of the cast, um, obviously both are Disney veterans, but the the characters should not be understated. Yes. Um. Because they are the two characters specifically that Wally interacts with that kind of have the rebirth once they're out of the screen. And they are the ones that even before McCree really start to see the other side. And it's not just that the screens were removed from directly in front of their faces. They are probably the first people in almost 700 years to experience human contact because they sort of fall in their hands. To I love all of the, the hands touching and, and how that carries through the, re the entirety of the film. Um, and then they go on like a little date. But yeah, I mean, they are the two characters representing humanity before everyone wakes up and... Uh, definitely important roles and you know for the actors they both did a great job it's probably the e one of the easiest days of work they've ever had because they don't have a lot of lines I mean I can't imagine that they were in the studio recording for more than 48 hours uh, if if even, if even that if even that and then somebody that had an even shorter work period um best cameo Sigourney Weaver as the Axiom computer I don't need to explain why I have a, sh a soft spot for Sigourney Weaver. And uh, I was glad to, I didn't pick up on it right away, 
But once I did, I was so happy that she got the cameo in this film. Yeah, I think it's a nice little, I mean, I, I know that's not why you love her, but I think it's a nice little hat tip to Ripley. For sure. Final thoughts on Wally. Well, before we get to final thoughts, I have one more interesting factoid, and I'm curious to get your opinion on it. Okay. Uh, supposedly, there was an infamous lunch that took place. I'm, I'm kind of curious how infamous it was because this is the first I had really heard of it. Okay. Uh, but they were wrapping up the production of Toy Story and John Lasseter, Pete Doctor, and Joe Ranf uh, were having lunch and they started bouncing ideas off of each other for what the next film was going to be. And during this lunch, supposedly, uh, Monsters, Inc., A Bug's Life, Finding Nemo, and Wally were all born from these conversations. Uh, and I believe that Wally was one of the next ones to go into production during A Bug's Life and Monsters, Inc., but they shelved it for a while. Um, so I was just curious to get your take on that. What do you think would have happened if this film had been released even earlier than 2008? Um, that's an interesting question. I think that if we would have sat back and reviewed it now, I think you would have had kind of that charming back to the future to, oh, this is what they thought the future would be like. And they got some of it right, but not all of it. I think because by 2008, smartphones are becoming a thing. You know that tablets are on the way. Um, Wi-Fi, hotspots, YouTube, you know, social media. I think that it kept the film from being dated because you could so easily see what was coming down the pike. I think that if they would have released it in, say, the late 90s or early 2000s, I think we would have had what we thought the future would have been like, and we would have missed on some of it, and we'd sit there going like, oh, flying cars, you know, like you do when you watch the second Back to the Future film. Um, so I think for that, at least, I think it's, I think it was well worth the wait. I think it's better that they waited until 2008. I would agree with that, but I think, and this does sort of play into my final synopsis. We said it numerous times during this review. This film was ahead of its time. I think you're right. I think it could have possibly been too early had they done it prior to 2008. But I think regardless, it absolutely holds up. Um, you know, the mirror that it is holding up to our society, it certainly still rings true now, if not more so. I think it's a hugely important message uh, delivered a little bit heavy handed. But at the same time, I think you need that. I think that it's a good way for kids to be able to understand the importance of taking care of planet Earth while you can. Um, I think it's something that adults certainly need to be reminded of. Um, and I think that they are able to achieve it in such a, not only a beautiful film aesthetically to watch, but 
to deliver it in such a way that is a heartwarming story, the rewatchability is certainly there. And that is something that I wouldn't have necessarily thought of because as we said at the top of the show, we saw it in theaters. I've watched it once or twice since, and I really haven't sat down to watch it. Um, But I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, You know, it wasn't as mind blowing as that first watch, but I certainly got just as much, if not more out of it. And I just enjoyed the revisit again. I think the movie's perfect. I think the movie's timeless. Um, And I think that there's a lot of irony here. And let me just preface this with, at this point, you know that we're Disney fans. You know that we love Disney. And I am not about to say this because I am slighting Disney or because my opinion or my stance behind them has changed. It has not. But I find it so ironic that Disney puts out a film where you have a global conglomerate that has sort of taken over when Disney, for a period of the last decade, just kind of bought everything, and you kind of started to have a stigma associated with them in the industry because they just started buying up everything, whether it was Lucasfilm, Marvel, Fox, you know... There were some people that sort of like, you know, made the joke of what's Disney going to buy next before Disney just buys everything. So it could be life imitating art a little bit. I also find it very interesting that a company that was built around a visionary, not just in film, but also in the parks that wanted to create fully immersive experiences where adults and children could escape the realities of the world, now have to be buried in their phones, the exact opposite of escape from reality, and be buried behind a screen to enjoy a fully immersive experience that you're not actually experiencing because you have to have Genie Plus for $14 a day. I think that it's really interesting that that company put out this film. It's a shame your mic is on a stand because you should just drop it. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say about Wally. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Design. If you are looking for media kits, graphic design, if you are looking for save the dates for an event or perhaps stationery or home decor that has that little bit of Disney touch, Kelly has you covered plus listeners of the show. Get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see everything that she has to offer and it's all incredible. It is online at karmaandkismetdesigns.com That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com We have a couple of pieces of news this week, starting with the Thor Love and Thunder trailer drop. This seemingly came out of nowhere, 
we know that the movie's coming up, but there was no like countdown. There was no leak that we were getting the trailer. It just sort of dropped. What are your initial reactions to this trailer? Well, a couple of things. It's so interesting that they've been doing that lately because Disney has the penchant for announcing things and then we don't see them for three years, not just in the parks, but with films too. They announced this such a long time ago and here we are. Uh, And then, you know, you almost forget about it and it's like, huh, shouldn't we have a trailer now? They did, even though it wasn't a Marvel movie per se, it was a joint effort. The same thing with Spider-Man. We didn't get a trailer until like a month before the movie, but like that, ne- that film needed promotion. Come on. Yeah. Uh, and I think the same with Thor. You know, we knew we were getting another one. Um, before I give my thoughts on the trailer, I also want to talk about the movie poster where, first of all, we are stripped down of these floating heads and cramming every single person in the film onto the poster it doesn't even look like Bohemian Rhapsody, the music video with the floating heads. It just looks like a lot going on and that everybody needed their little shout out on the poster and it's just crammed in and it gives us nothing of story anymore. The poster is supposed to be artwork and, and give us like a hint of what's going on. And that hasn't happened in years. So finally, but we've got Thor standing on top of a mountain. He's he's holding, uh, I don't think it's... Mjolnir, I think it's the uh, oh the, the name escapes me right now. The big guy, the big axe, yeah, uh, and world breaker, Stormbreaker. Stormbreaker. There it is. Thank you. Ugh, I'm gonna get ridiculed for that, but anyway, Stormbreaker, and the lightning is striking it, and it just looks straight up like '80s album cover art. And I hope and pray that they lean into this and in all the merch. I want T-shirts. I want it to look like a world, a, you know, Thor Love and Thunder world tour shirt. Yeah. Uh, I, I want it all. Anyway, the trailer. Wow, 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 wow. Um, straight up great choice of music. Um, I love what they've given us as far as what the story is going to be. Um, I like that they have not, um, that they didn't withhold that the Guardians are in it. Um, and we will get to Lady Thor in just a second, but I, I want to talk about what it does for his character and the direction that it seems like they're taking him because I feel like there was a lot of uproar that Thor was depressed in Endgame and we saw, you know, slothy, overweight Thor. Beer gut Thor. Right. Relatable Thor. But he was the butt of a joke. And as great as it was for comedic relief, a lot of people were sort of upset that it took away from what he was struggling with as far as his mental health goes. And, you know, as surprising as it was to know that he was going to get another movie after all of the Avengers had their trilogy and they were done... um, I think it was a smart move that Endgame was not the end of his story, that we do get another one. Because can you imagine leaving Thor in that place? You know, there's that brilliant on your left, and we see the cap, and we see Thor get up. Um, But really, 
he doesn't have an end the way that everyone else got to wrap it up in Endgame. So I'm glad that we have that for him. And I think this is sort of the natural way to go because, you know, from his POV, he's the god of a place that doesn't exist anymore. Valkyrie is in charge of New Asgard. Uh... Loki, it, well, we don't, I'm not going to say Loki's gone because we don't really know. I'm not unpacking that right now. Um, so he is very lost because the entire time his sole purpose has been to help people. And now he doesn't really have anyone to help anymore. And he doesn't have his family and he is just completely lost. Uh, so I think if they do go the way of the comics, and I don't necessarily want to spoil that right now. Um I think it's a pretty seamless transition into Natalie Portman taking over as Thor. And for everyone, you know, I'm speaking directly to you insecure males who are like, Thor Thor can't be a girl. I'll put this argument on your level. No, you have cooties. I I mean, she becomes Thor in a comic book like a while ago. So, And they're outselling quite a bit. So... It's just funny, like, when they want things to remain canon and when they don't. And that's the most I'm going to respond on that. Um, you know, upon first viewing of the trailer, I have to admit that I kind of rolled my eyes um, because my my gut reaction was everything doesn't need to be Guardians because Guardians is Guardians. Not everything needs a classic rock soundtrack. Not everything needs to be tongue-in-cheek because... I feel like Marvel started really leaning into the comedy and the 80s rock once Guardians was a hit. But Guardians was a hit because it was so unique and it was so different. Right. But with that being said, Thor is so theatrical. And when you go back and watch the first Thor movie, he is such a cheese ball. Um, and Stark later makes fun of it in the first Avengers movie when he calls it Shakespeare in the Park. Um, then when by the time you get to Ragnarok, they make the comedic turn, and then they kind of pile on it in Endgame. So by the time I watched the trailer the second time, I said, you know what? I love it. I love where they're going with it. It makes sense for the character. I think if the Guardians weren't in it, it may be a little bit of a stretch and it might be a little too much of the same and it might be you're trying to squeeze blood from a stone that doesn't exist because, as I said before, this is the Guardians. Um, But I'm excited for it. I'm excited for this next phase of Marvel. Um, And I think Natalie Portman's going to do a great job. I was surprised that we got her as Lady Thor in the trailer. I thought maybe that that scene might have been something that they held for a reveal uh, a reveal when you see it in theaters for the first time, but I don't mind that they gave it away because we knew that this was coming anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for it now. Yeah, I thought they might have held that for like a second trailer or like a longer TV spot or something, but I mean, the movie's coming out pretty soon. Um, but... I mean, really, were they, how long were they going to withhold it? Because set photos, quote unquote, leaked when you saw her bulking up. I don't I'm sorry. I don't buy into the na- notion that anything leaks anymore. No. You see what they want you to see. Correct. Um, all right. Let's move on here to some other news. Something that 
I'm going to talk about, initially, I don't think we were going to talk about it, but I want to talk about it. I want to talk about Run Disney for a minute. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. A lot of people aren't. Well, I'm laughing at your tweet, which if you don't follow us on Twitter, I would highly recommend doing so just for what Sean did yesterday, which I will we're just going to talk leave. about what happened and then I will I will talk about your tweet. Um yeah, you know, if you do the run Disney races, you know that on sales can be stressful. Um they're not a lot of fun um because they just sell out so so quickly now. Um it's almost worse than buying concert tickets. It is worse than buying concert tickets. The run Disney races sell out faster than any concert I've bought tickets to in the last 10 years. Um, and that's partly because for all the stupid things that Ticketmaster does, they have a functioning queue system that actually works and kind of makes it fair. Um, you know, it's pretty incredible that Walt Disney bought all of the property for Walt Disney World in the 1960s. This property was masterfully planned um, and is completely immersive. And this was a project that started 50 years ago and in the year 2022 we broke a website <laughs> to go run at this fully immersive you know special place um you know we were supposed to go on sale at 10 we didn't the website crashed because it's marathon weekend you had people trying to sign up for dopey um and long story made short um once you got on the queue, you couldn't get off the queue because you'd lose your spot online. I stayed in the queue. A lot of my friends stayed in the queue. That's why I was able to get two of the races, but a lot of people couldn't stay in because they had to go to a doctor or they had to go to work. They had to go pick up their kids. They had an appointment because the the race didn't go on sale until 1230 in the afternoon. But by the time you wait through your spot on the queue, it's almost one o'clock before you're buying your tickets. Um, you know, I'm starting to think that with Run Disney, they want you to join this Run Disney club. They want to clobber you over the head for an exorbitant amount of money so that you are guaranteed an admission into any race that you want. It's a very Chapek thing to do. Mm. Um, but I'm starting to think that you're just overloading. Clearly, for whatever reason, for all the good things that you do, your IT stinks. It, it stinks historically. I don't know why they can't get this figured out. But I'm at a point where I'm starting to think that for Marathon Weekend, really for all of the weekends, but specifically we'll use Marathon Weekend because that's the one that just went on sale. I think Monday you just sell dopey and goofy i think you give it like a two-hour window like a pre-sale mm -hmm. like you do for a concert and say from you know noon to from from 10 a.m to noon you know here is your here's the website you got to sign up online to have a password emailed to you you get two hours then i think on wednesday uh or sorry i think on tuesday you get the the full and the half a la carte and then i think by Thursday, you get the 5K, the 10K, 
the virtual and whatever is left from dopey, goofy, full and half. I think you need to spread it out. I think you need people to sign up to get passwords, not in a lottery system. I think you sign up, you automatically get the password. Um, But I think that you have to start spreading this out because there were people that I know that didn't get into the 5K because they had to wait on a virtual queue for over an hour because they got stuck behind people that were signing up for dopey or signing up for goofy. If you would have had them on sale on different days, by the time all of those people that were trying to get those other races, by the time they all filtered through, you would have narrowed down the target audience. You would have narrowed down the queue to the people that were just trying to get into the 5K. Perhaps they wouldn't have been shut out. I know that there were a lot of people that were disappointed. I understand why they were disappointed. I was annoyed that I had to sit there. I ended up sitting with my computer open for nearly four hours to sign up for these two races. Um, It's getting a little ridiculous. They have to figure something out. They just have to figure something out. Yeah, I mean, I think with that volume of people hitting a website at one time, I mean, you see it when concerts go on sale. I mean, I think a little bit of clunkiness is to be expected. But to your point, how has a company as big as Disney not figured out the high volume because it's not just with run Disney it's it's with the app and the park crashing and dining reservations it's it's just everything it's ridiculous and for a company that's going to insist we be buried in these phones they really got to figure something else out I do agree with you though I think it is similar to how they are trying to force Genie Plus in the lightning lane I think that they are trying to force you to join this club and That is not how it should be. Comic-Con has, we've seen it grow so much over the years. And I'm not talking about San Diego. I'm talking about New York. You know, it used to be like 10 years ago when we first started dating, like you could just go and it was still very much like an underground thing. And now you can't get in. However, they make it fair where if you have gone in the past, you get first dibs at buying tickets. And that is what you should do for Run Disney. A hundred percent. Like, I'm sorry, but influencers who just want to go and run through the parks in the dark and take their pictures and everything shouldn't get priority over people who are athletes and want to run and do this on the regular. Because the other thing, that becomes a hazard. To, to people who yes, are trying does. to run, and I don't think that Disney is a place that you should necessarily be trying to PR, but people do use those races as a qualifier for something else. And sometimes, like, like you're missing out now if you don't finish it enough time because somebody needed to take their picture with Mickey. Like, they, they just have to figure out a way to strip this down a little bit more and make it what it used to be a couple of years ago where it was kind of a niche thing and people who wanted to run could just run. Well, this is that YOLO, FOMO, whatever yo, stupid acronym that social media and stupid Instagram have created um, where you just have, like these races, you could buy, you could buy your entry to a race days, sometimes weeks after they went on sale. Now these races sell out in, 15 minutes um, because people see on, you know, on Instagram, it's like going to Jimmy Buffett. And I've gone to Jimmy Buffett nearly 20 times. You used to be able to get to the parking lot at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, get a great spot. Now you got to get there at four in the morning because 
there's this social media uh, appeal where people see it and they go, well, I want to do that. So to your point, because I've seen it happen, people don't train for these races and they don't know what the running etiquette is. So like I got a stress fracture in my foot, not at a run Disney race, but at the Cal Harbor right before I ran a Disney race because the brewery in town was doing a run the race, get a free beer. You had a bunch of people who have never run but didn't want to pay $6 for an IPA the first time. They gladly pay for it the second time. And you just had a bunch of schmoes that didn't know how to race, didn't know how to run. And they would just stop in the middle of the street and you'd be running behind them and, you, you know, and it's a hilly course, and and it becomes a danger to yourself and others. You're starting to see it now with the Run Disney races. It's just overwhelmed with people to who are there, to your point, that just want to get their pictures and hold up their medal and put it on their social media. Um, I also believe, and you're right, and I've said it before to you, that when you run, like let's say you run Wine and Dine 2022, you should be entitled to get your spot for 2023, um, you know, et cetera and so forth. The people that are perfect dopey were able to sign up for dopey last week. Right. So, uh, you know, I think that there is a means to this. I, I think that there's a way to work it out. But I've said it before. Disney's a company. They're a business. They're in the business of making money. I'm not going to begrudge them of that. That's their sole purpose. They entertain us. Yes, we love them. Yes, but they don't make money. There's no Disney, right? So they love the mania because they it's free, it's free publicity. It's the best kind of free publicity, and people feel like they're missing out. I mean, there there are ways that they could fix it. Will they? I think the jury's out on that. Um I think until such time that they're not making money hand over fist and until such time that the races aren't selling out in a matter of minutes, there's no incentive for them to change because they think that they're going to scare people into signing up for this club. So uh, this went a lot longer than I had anticipated, but uh, that was that was something that just happened yesterday and it was like, oh, here we go again with the IT. No, and unfortunately, I don't think that that's something to change until, God forbid, someone gets hurt. And then you're going to have to reevaluate, you know, maybe you do need a certain time to run Run Disney. That way you can keep up with the pace. And for those that just want to go to get their pictures, go cheer. Uh, but I did promise uh, your tweet yes. uh, as far as the knock at IT goes. Um, Sean took the script of Par uh, Carousel of Progress and change the words to one day we're going to have a thing called a website uh, where people are going to be able to register for Run Disney and um, people from uh, around the world will yes. be able to come together and run a race. Ha ha! ha, ha. It'll, it'll never, never work. work. It was brilliant. And then he had a, a gif of Carousel of Progress, and I was in stitches. Um, all right, let's talk about the last bit of news, which actually is something that's happening tonight. Disney is doing a surprise broadcast on all of its social media platforms. Um, starting at 11.30 Eastern Standard Time. So by the time you all hear this, it was last night. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see if our predictions hold up. Um, starting that late, you know it's something that's happening on the West Coast. I'm thinking 
that it'll be a live broadcast of Paint the Night or I don't know if Main Street Electrical Parade is coming back tonight. But obviously they're going to stream some sort of nighttime thing from Disneyland. Now it's prediction time because they're making such a big deal of it. If they were just going to broadcast, you know, Main Street Electrical Parade or Paint the Night, they would just say, join us for a special presentation of. But they're promising something special. So if you're promising something special, that tells me that it's something that at a minimum will affect Walt Disney World. Um, It may impact all of the parks globally. I'm thinking what this means is that at a minimum, we're getting the return of nighttime spectaculars at Walt Disney World. But I'm wondering if we're getting something new. Um, I don't know about the nighttime stuff because they announced that the electrical parade is coming back. Um, and I learned that I should not throw popcorn buckets at glass houses because I I would just push anybody out of the way to get one of those Pete's Dragon ones. If you can't tell me the name of a Gogan, you you can't have one of those. Um but anyway, I, I don't think it's that because the big drop for that, I feel like, happened on TikTok and they've been promoting it. Um, I'm wondering if it could be something on the Avengers campus uh, with Doctor Strange because that film is coming out. Um, I also have not ruled out something for Disney Paris 30 because with the time difference, it will be sunrise over there. And I'm wondering if that's why we're getting it so late here on the East Coast. It could be um, because you can announce you can announce it from California, stream a nighttime spectacular in California, and it would affect um, obviously the people that are in Paris. Um, they'd have something to wake up to. I'm gonna go out on a big limb. I'm gonna give my prediction because you so you're predicting it's something Avengers Campus related, and perhaps something that will work in conjunction with the. Disneyland Paris 30, if that's your prediction. It could be uh, Avengers Campus in Paris, for all we know, because that was announced. Oh, and completely unrelated, uh, Salt and Straw opened in Disney Springs today. Sorry, I'm flying off the cuff with this news here. This is big news. We had them in Venice, California, and it's absolutely amazing. They blend like real food and flavors like balsamic into ice cream, and it all works. Okay, go ahead. Um, You feel good now? I'm going to make yes, my... that has nothing to do... Well, for me, it has nothing to do with 420. I think it has everything to do with opening <laughs> on 420 otherwise. I'm going to drop my prediction here. A lot of people are speculating that they're going to announce the return of Fantasmic. They might. It would. It, it's exciting to hear that it's coming back, but you kind of know that it's coming back. I feel like you'd need to be dropping something major. It's got to be bigger, yeah. I don't see exactly where... They're going to do World of Color unless they were, unless Harmonious is going out the door due to poor reviews and they move World of Color to Epcot. (gasps) So I don't think that's what's going to happen. So I'm going to go out on a limb. I know that like a hundred times that I make this prediction, 99 times it's wrong, but you got to just figure that one of those times it's going to be right. And because I think Disney at this point is trying to win back some good faith with people, Main Street Electrical Parade went to Disneyland. I'm going to predict, and I know out of my mouth it's wrong, 
but that's why you go out on a limb with a prediction. You will see the rebirth of spectral magic at the Magic Kingdom. Ooh, shoot for the moon. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to, yeah. you may as well aim high, right? And if I'm wrong, who cares? I'm wrong more times than I'm right, but that's going to be my prediction. But we want to know what you have to say about all of the news that we talked about. Are you into a run Disney race? Did you get shut out? How stupid was my prediction? You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. I just mentioned all of that social media. We are on TikTok as well at Monoreal Radio. We love getting your emails. Monorealradio at gmail.com is the address. And for links to everything related to the show, it is always online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of. <laughs>